Good evening, everybody, and thank you, Ryan. That was, that was fantastic. Um, like Ryan said, we've been going through, if you're new with us, we've been going through a series in Philippians, and man, it has been one epic journey. I've, just, I've been really excited about this, about this series. We've, um, we've been in this series now for two months, and it's, it just it feels like we started yesterday. And it's just been this roller coaster ride of some really good stuff. And, and more and more, every single time I've been preparing and I've, and I've dug into these messages, God has really challenged me um, with a message prior, obviously, to me getting to preach. And I just want to say tonight is really no different. And I just want to put it out there tonight. I'm excited because I believe God's going to renew a joy and an understanding of joy for us as his people. I think he's going to help us to understand how to deal with anxiety as we press into him and take hold of what he's got for us. And I believe God's going to revolutionize and wants to, through the Spirit, minister to you in a way maybe you haven't experienced or been needing to experience for a very long time. So that's what I'm expecting for. I'm excited for that. And I'm just going to pray that as we start to unpack God's Word together, that, um, that you start to feel that, that you start to really sense God's presence and know that He loves you. Because I really, I really know that that is God's heart for us as His people to understand how much He loves us. So, um, so we're, we're in Philippians chapter 4. Next week we're finishing up, right? Um, John's going to be finishing up for us. Paul is starting to wrap up his letter in chapter 4. He's starting to say his goodbyes to the Philippian church in this letter. You know it's a church that he really cares for. It's one of the churches he planted on his mission trip to Macedonia. And he's really passionate about these guys. And there's a special place in his heart for them. Um, and that's just evident throughout the letter. Um, and one of the main themes in the letter is joy. And just the joy that we're able to have in the Lord. And so tonight, as, he, as we unpack this, you'll see he's beginning to wrap up and he's beginning to encourage them as he's closing off his letter and call them back to this place of understanding that for them, as God's people, joy and peace of mind are essential in order to bring the gospel to people and in order to live the kingdom lives that God has called us to live. So if you have, if you have um, your, your Bibles, you can open up to Philippians chapter 4. If not, the scriptures will be behind us and you can just read with me. Right. So this is what it says. Paul's writing, chapter 4, verse 49, he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent or any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learnt and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Also, just this amazing passage of Scripture, which is rich, and in and of itself, we could spend weeks unpacking it. But I just want to start with the first thing Paul starts with. First things first. If we're going to be a kingdom people who get hold and will actually want to be what God has called us to be in this world, we have to be a people that are filled with joy. We have to be a people that choose to rejoice. Right? God's desire for us as his people is that we are people who overflow with joy and choose to rejoice in all circumstances and all situations. As he's wrapping up this letter to the Philippians, he's saying, hey, I want you to choose to rejoice, and not just to rejoice once or twice, but to rejoice always. And here's why Paul says this, and I think that's why God wants us to get hold of this, is because joy is a gift from the Lord. 
The joy of the Lord is a gift from him to us. It's something we need to choose to do. It's a gift of the Spirit as well. Right? And it is also a response to God and the things that he's given to us. Joy is a beautiful thing. When we begin to experience it in our lives, it changes the way we respond, not only to people, but to circumstances around us and the places and the circumstances we find ourselves in. It actually starts to change the way we respond in difficult times and in good times. In such a way that God's Word says it's it's unfathomable. It it goes beyond understanding this joy that we're able to have as God's people. But here's the problem, and this is something that I've struggled with in my own life. It seems to be that at times, in fact a lot of times, especially in the Western church, because we have so much actually, joy becomes this thing that seems to be unattainable. You speak to a lot of Christians, and to be quite honest, most of the time, people lack joy. Right? We can be happy sometimes, but a lot of the time we lack joy. And you've got to ask, and I ask myself this question, why? I ask the question that David asked, why am I so downcast? Why am I so downcast on my soul? Right? And I don't know if we ask ourselves that question enough, but it is true that we battle with joy. It seems to be this thing that we can't really grab hold of or, or, or seem to lack experiencing in our lives. And I think, for me, there was this realization that I had to learn what it means to rejoice. Because joy comes from choosing to rejoice in the Lord always. And it's a work of the Spirit. And I had to learn what it means to rejoice. I had to also learn what godly joy really is. I had to have joy defined for me. Because if we don't actually understand what joy is, we have mismet expectations. We're expecting this and something else comes and we're disheartened or disappointed because what we're expecting isn't what we experience. We ask questions, if you're listening to people around you, if you're honest with yourself, you've probably asked questions like this when you've read that. Is it really possible to be rejoicing always? Surely that's not possible. Am I supposed to go around with this like constant smile on my face, pretending that I'm happy when actually inside I'm not? I'm hurting and I'm struggling with stuff. Is it true that I'm sinning when I feel depressed or sad or when I'm mourning? Am I supposed to deny the pain and the sorrow in my heart? Is that what it means to be constantly joyful and rejoicing always? How can you command a feeling? I'm commanded to be joyful, but can you really command yourself to feel that way? Is Paul just this bubbly, incurable optimist who never has anything get him down? And it's just slightly touched, right? Everything, it doesn't matter how bad it is, he's always seeing the bright side of it. Is that what it means to be filled with joy? For some of us, just thinking about this and thinking about the idea of being joyful and rejoicing always puts us in a place where we feel depressed because we're just like we can't get there. We choose not to even think about it. And I really believe God wants to crack this thing open for us tonight and for you so that you can experience what it's meant, what you're meant to experience and what it's really like to be filled with joy. And so the first thing I want to touch on is this. And the first thing we have to realize and understand is that God does not command us in Philippians, to simply have a cheerful disposition. That's not what the joy of the Lord is. It's not just to walk around with a smile on your face and pretend everything's okay, or to force yourself to be an extrovert and be nice to everybody. And nothing can ever knock you off your game or have you feel down. That's not what God's commanding. What God is commanding is something far deeper and far more powerful than just being happy. Right? It's something that requires 
supernatural power, supernatural strength. This is not something that's attainable in our own strength. Remember last week I was speaking about the purpose of life and somebody mentioned that the purpose of life is to have something you do every single day for your whole life and you mustn't ever be able to um, achieve it. We were like, we agree with that except that we, must, we mustn't be able to achieve it without God's strength. This is one of those things. The joy of the Lord is, after all, the joy of the Lord, not your joy. Not our ability to manufacture a feeling that has us be happy. This is a supernatural thing. It is not a superficial smile pretending that you're okay. But this is something incredibly deep. John Piper gives a definition of joy, which I really agree with, but I've added to it a little bit. All right? If I'm ever honored by him listening to this, just know that I didn't want to twist it. I've just added a little bit, but I've kept your words, all right? He, he says this. He says the definition of joy is this, right? Um, it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. Just before that, this is what I've added. I said, Christian joy is not happiness. Christian joy is not happiness or based on external circumstances. Rather, it is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as He causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And these are my words, at all times, in all situations, and in all circumstances. That, for me, is one of the most accurate definitions of joy. It's that we see Jesus through the power of the Spirit in the Word and in the world at all times and in all circumstances. We see Jesus. So being joyful and being a joyful people does not mean that we are unrealistic about our emotions. It does not mean that we're unbalanced, that we're always happy. Because happy is a cheesy way to remember. It is based on happenings. Happy happenings, right? When things happen well for you, you're happy. When they don't happen well for you, you're sad. Right? When things go well for you, we feel blessed. And when they don't go the way we expect them to go, we're upset. And our emotions get all out of whack and all that sort of stuff. And chemicals in our brain get all unbalanced and we get really sad. Or you find a girlfriend, you get really happy. You get married, it's even, even more ecstatic. Right? Then when you realize you've got to clean the house, you get sad. Right? Even though I have to clean the house, I still have joy. right? Because joy is a soul thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's got nothing to do with my physical makeup and the chemicals in my brain, which is a very real thing, right? that govern my emotions. It's, it's a, it cannot be touched by circumstances and situations and emotions and the chemicals in my brain. Joy is a deep-seated spiritual thing, which is a work of the Spirit and is constant at all times. Constant at all times. It does not mean that we have to become people who pretend that everything is okay. Right? Joy comes from knowing that we are indwelt by the living God. That the living God chooses to dwell in us through His Spirit. If you just ponder that, it's like trying to ponder the fact that space has no end. Just try that sometime. Just but sit down when you do that, right? Because it, it just has this effect on me. I, I get a bit disorientated. I'm like, that just blows my mind. But to think that the living God lives in me through the Spirit of God is amazing. 
Just that thought brings joy. Though our hearts may be troubled and heavy with grief and sorrow, many times in our life, because of trials and suffering, beneath the surface we have a deep-seated confidence knowing that we're in the hands of God and that we have a Father who loves us regardless. That's where joy comes from and that's what joy is. Knowing that He's going to be faithful to us and faithful to His promises and that every single thing God promises you in His Word is yes and amen in Jesus. It's, it's never going to be something He goes back on. If God has promised you something good, it is going to be good for you. If he says do this and you'll be blessed, if you do it, you will be blessed. And I'm not just talking financially. I'm, I'm, I'm saying spiritually, emotionally. There will be a security that God gives you that is out of this world. It's supernatural. Nothing that man can conjure up or produce on his own. That's what joy is. That's, that's what it means to have joy. But how do we cultivate this? How do we rejoice in the Lord always is another question I had to wrestle with. And I think it means a couple of things. I think rejoicing in the Lord always means, firstly, that we get to know Jesus and we draw close to him. Always. Remember what Paul said in um, the previous chapter, in the last message last week, I said, Paul said, above all, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul didn't not know Jesus. It's not like he was saying that because he had just come to know the Lord. He was saying, I constantly want to know him more. I want to pursue Jesus more. That's what it means to constantly rejoice in the Lord. It's to draw close to him. It's to get to know him. In John 15, 9-11, this is what Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That is amazing. Then Jesus says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The awesome thing is when we get filled with joy, we're full and that's for us. But then there's a place where there's overflow and that's for other people. Right? We can be filled to overflowing. That's the point. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rivers of living water. Overflowing, not just fill up the glass, that's for you. That's a blessing for you. But when we start to overflow, that's for other people. We bless other people. I have been so blessed by people's joy, other people's joy in the Lord. It's been sometimes for me a reminder of what I'm lacking. It's encouraged me and spurred me on to greater pursuit of Jesus. God says, come to him, get to know him, spend time, take the time to work hard at being godly. Right? We actually have to pursue this thing. It's available to us through the Spirit, but you actually have to pursue it. You can't just sit on your laurels and expect it to happen. It actually has to be a pursuit. Get to know Jesus. It means submitting to and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But learning to hear the voice and to step in obedience and do what God has called you to do. The second thing is this. One of the things that I believe it means to rejoice in the Lord always is to read the Word. Rejoicing in the Lord always means that we're constantly viewing our lives through the lens of Scripture. I call it getting a God perspective on things. Often I'm chatting with men and we're going through a tough time or we're struggling with this or we're struggling with that or we're confused about this and we don't know where to go. And, you know, we just, 
we try and fix things in our own strength. And slowly but surely, I feel myself becoming anxious and confused and you get irritated. And then it's often, it's so weird. The last thing we often do is go, okay, let's, let's just pray. Right? If, if we're honest. I know it sounds weird. As a, as a pastor, you'd expect us to be praying all the time. You know, super spiritual. But often we get it wrong. And then we've got to remind ourselves as a family and as a couple to, to go, let's ask God. And when we do that and we spend time in the Word, we get this God perspective that blows everything open. We receive wisdom and there's light in life again. I think to rejoice in the Lord means to pursue Jesus constantly and also to get stuck into the Word and get a God perspective on this. It's, it's having your eyes open to the spiritual realm, actually. It's not just reading a bunch of words. It's having God rip your heart open and just see what's real in the spiritual for you. I was reminded of that story. I think it's Elisha or Elijah. It's one of those guys, right? And they're encamped uh, in the city, and the enemy uh, of, of God is around, basically their enemy surrounding them, and uh, Elisha's servant is freaking out. Right? He's, just, he's like, how are we going to win? Oh, are we going to die? Where is me? Lament, lament. Right? And Elisha or Elijah, someone could correct me, so I don't have to say them both. Elisha, thank you. Um, he's sitting there, and he's calm. And then he prays for his servant. He's like, don't worry about what's going on around us in the physical. Those who are for us are greater than those who are against us. And his servant at that point is probably like, okay. Right? And then he prays for him and says, Lord, open up his eyes. And as he does, his servant is able to see into the spiritual. And what he sees is the armies of God encamped around their enemy. And all of a sudden there's peace. And there's a God perspective that he gets, which I'm sure at that moment brought joy and a God perspective. We need that in our lives. And that can only come through being with Jesus and reading his word. It's our source of truth. This is what Jeremiah says in verse 15, in chapter 15, verse 16. He says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. Man, I really wish that we could get this and, and know what it means to eat God's Word and to be filled on God's Word. Because I, I think that's possible. I don't just think those are weird words that we used to describe something that doesn't, can't possibly happen. I, I really believe we can feast on and become full with God's Word and that they will become joy for us and a delight to us and will delight our hearts and our hearts will delight in the Word of God. So much of our culture chooses to the light in other stuff that is going to fade away. We may think that it brings us joy. We use the word joy, but it's like we use the word love. Oh, I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that, oh, I love you. If I say, oh, geez, I really love flying, is it the same as when I say to Mandy, I really love you? Man, I'd get in so much trouble if it's the same. And we know it's different, but it's just a word that we have. And I think it's the same with joy. Oh, this thing brings me joy. Does it really bring you joy? Is it a God joy that it brings you? Our culture embraces so much stuff. It makes it all about us, and we pursue these things, and it might make us happy, but actually sucking us dry of joy because it's meaningless. God's word is truth. The presence of Jesus is real, and it brings joy. I think that's what it means to pursue joy. That's what joy is. Then Paul goes on and he also says, hey guys, you, you need to be a people who are free of anxiety 
and filled with peace. This is what he says to them. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And the Greek word for anything is anything. Right? Do not be anxious about anything. We need to be a people who are freed from anxiety and full of peace. As Christians and as people who profess a faith in Jesus and have been saved, we have a peace in our relationship with God. We have this friendship with Him. We are in right standing with Him because of what Jesus has done for us. We are called sons and daughters. And He says that you are friends, no longer slaves. We have this peace in the relationship. Our, our spirits are at peace with God. We're at peace with God because we've been forgiven for our sin. And that is a prerequisite for the peace that Paul is speaking about in Philippians that is a peace of mind. We would refer to it a way to describe it is, um, is to have a tranquil mind. A mind that's not constantly on and on and on with things that cause you grief and trouble and concern, but in such a way that it debilitates you. Having that right relationship with Jesus is a prerequisite to having a peaceful and tranquil mind of being free from anxiety. And I believe God calls us to have this peace and tells us how to get it because anxiety is, if we're honest, a form or a breed or a species of fear. And stress that causes us to lack joy, peace, and to become stagnant in our pursuit of Jesus and in accomplishing what he's actually got for us to accomplish here on earth. We can become paralyzed because we become overanalyzes, we become, we get this analysis paralysis, all right? And we've all experienced it. No one actually wants it, but this is the type of stuff that happens. Oh my goodness, if I don't get out of this country, I'm finished. But what's going to happen if this happens? What happens if that happens? Oh my goodness, if we run out of water in Cape Town, oh man, my, oh, I'm going to look like a prune, all right? I don't, I, don't, I don't have any other places to go. I don't have any other people to go. I'm just, there's going to be war, there's going to be chaos everywhere. People are going to be stealing water from my swimming pool, all this stuff. Or, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get a job when I leave school. I don't know if I'm going to be qualified enough. Or I don't know where my next meal is coming from. I don't know if I'm going to be liked by these people if I don't have these certain clothes. Or, you know, this relationship is really getting me down. Or I really love it, but I want to be able to do things excellently. And I don't know what to do. And I don't know how to do it. And there's just so many different things that we can get caught up with. And it goes over and over and over again in our minds. And I'm not saying some of them aren't legitimate issues that you're wrestling with, but we get to a place where it's constantly there and it's constantly causing angst and stress to the point where it becomes debilitating and we become people who aren't really experiencing the joy of the Lord and peace that comes from being in His presence. The command not to be anxious because of these things can sometimes become a little bit, seem to be a little bit unattainable. It becomes like this impossible thing that we're called to pursue. And um, this is meant to bring relief. It's not possible in your own strength. Only through the Lord. It's a supernatural thing. God brings the peace. But Paul doesn't just leave us hanging. He goes, this is how you get it. Right? He says, with man things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. And the way that you pursue this, the way that you access this divine power to have a mind that's filled with peace is through prayer and supplication. That's how you get it. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer 
in and of itself might seem like a very physical thing, and it requires some physical stuff. It requires you to maybe get alone by yourself. It requires you maybe to actually focus your mind on the Lord and to start to articulate words maybe verbally or in your mind. Right? It requires an action in the physical, but it is not physical. It is a deeply spiritual act. You are communing with the God of the universe. You are not insane. You're not talking to yourself. You're communicating with God. And Paul says, pray to God about everything and don't allow yourself to become anxious. Give the stuff over to the Lord. Come to Him. That's how you access this power to receive peace and to get rid of your anxiety. John Papa says, when your anxieties talk to you, don't talk back to them. Talk to God. I wanted to read this description. I wanted to just... Um, nutshell it, but I really sensed that I needed to read this thing. It's longer than our main text for this evening, but I wanted to read it because I feel like it's for somebody tonight, maybe even for all of us, but I really feel like um, we need to hear what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 33. Like if we really believe this, we will never be people who are anxious about anything, but constantly trusting God. Here's what Jesus says. I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food. I don't know, our culture, sometimes food is as important as life, right? Yes, you need food to live, but I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus says, and is not the body more important than clothing? In our culture, I don't know, right? Look at the birds, Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. In other words, they do nothing. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they are? Do you believe that? It's a rhetorical question. Jesus is not asking you to actually try and work it out. He's making a statement. He's going, you are more valuable than them. Right? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. So many of us think that by worrying, we're going to be able to fix things. Often worrying just makes your life shorter. I don't know how many studies have been done about the, like, the bad side effects of stress and constant stress, prolonged stress. It is a life taker. Right? And we try and worry a week cause ourselves to worry because we want to live longer, because we want things to go well for us. And the irony is, the longer we worry and the more we stress about it, the shorter our lives actually will be. And Jesus goes, it's pointless anyway, because how on earth is worrying actually add to your life? It doesn't. Just stop worrying. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, are, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, or is not a dumb dad. Right? The world runs after stuff that they think they need. God knows what you need, and he says, just relax. Trust in me. As I end it, he says, 
but seek first the kingdom of God. He has your priority. This is what Paul's been saying the whole time through Philippians. I want to know Jesus and the glory of his resurrection. For me to live his Christ and to die his gain. Focus on him. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first God, then all this other stuff will come. But in our culture, we flipped it the other way around. It's I will first seek all of this stuff, and then God, when I've got time, maybe if I do, I will seek you. And we wonder why we're a people who are constantly anxious and suffering with depression and anxiety over and over and over again. Wondering where the victory is going to come from. And God's going, it's right here. You just have to prioritize your life properly. God never instructs us in Scripture to fight anxiety in our own strength. It's always been about casting our anxieties and our fears onto Him in prayer and trusting in Him to meet our needs. I wanted to say this as well tonight, that not all anxiety is sinful. Right? You look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was sweating blood. There was so much anxiety he was wrestling with. You look at Paul and his wrestle for the churches and his desire for the churches. As a parent, there's concerns that I have for my kids growing up in a world that is wicked and evil and getting worse. There are legitimate fears. There's holy discontents that we've been given by the Spirit that are legit. But what makes those and keeps them from becoming sinful right, is the fact that we, like Jesus and Paul, bring them to God in prayer, and rely on his promises to be able to overcome them. And we rest in him. And when we do that, there's this incredible exchange that happens. When we bring our anxieties to God, God becomes the one who we glorify as the only one who's able to deal with them, and we become the receiver of peace and a sound mind and joy. Anxiety becomes a sin when we make it all about us and we don't go to the foot of the cross and we don't deal with it and we don't lay it down there. There are legitimate concerns that we have, but to deal with it means to bring it before the Lord. Peace is also gained in verse 8 and 9 as we come to an end here by focusing our minds on that which is godly. Here's what Paul says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, if anything is praiseworthy, think about these things. And if you put them into practice, if you put the things that you've learned from into practice, the God of peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. One of the most helpful things that I've learned as a Christian is that all sin begins in the mind. All sin begins there. Right? Most of the time before we act sinfully, we've already committed the sin mentally. Right? That's what, and Jesus didn't let people get away with it. He was like, you say if you murder your brother, you know, it's a bad thing. I tell you, it goes even deeper than that. If you even think about murdering him or you hate him in your heart, you've murdered him. You say if you sleep with a woman or do anything lustfully on the outside, you've committed adultery or sexual impurity. Jesus says if you even think lustfully or impure about a woman or another man, you've committed that adultery in your heart. You've committed sexual impurity right, as a sin in your heart and in your mind. Often, we've thought about a sin before we've acted on it. Therefore, According to Scripture, according to God, the most important thing we need to get a control of is our minds and our thoughts because our thoughts are a basis for our actions. There was a guy who said, I think, therefore I am. Right? We think, therefore we do. You don't do anything that you don't think about consciously or subconsciously. 
A godly mind leads to obedience, which is integral to a life of joy and peace. A life of joy and peace leads to healthy relationships with God and with others. I wanted to end this evening by just touching on what Paul is not actually saying here. Because I think there's a heresy that's sort of filtered into the church and we sort of embrace it because it looks like the genuine thing. But Paul is not, when he says focus your mind on godly things, but he's not speaking about the power of positive thinking. Right? That's not what he's speaking about. There's this teaching that's sort of like current in the church and has come into the church and it's birthed this idea that we should never ever as Christians think critically or negatively. And I'll explain that now. It means that we must always say nice, positive things to build people up, but we can never say stuff like everybody who does not know Jesus is going to hell. Well, that's too negative. Let's not dwell on the negative. Right? Let's, 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 let's move on. I was reading a story about a pastor who preached a series on hell and on evangelism and how we need to be getting out there and preaching the words so that people can get saved. And a couple of people left his church. One lady came back to him and said, I want you to know why I've left. And she whipped out all the points of his sermon. And he was like, granted, all of them were in the negative state or tense or whatever it is. Um, but they were directly from Scripture. And when he showed that to her, she was like, oh, but that doesn't matter. It was very negative. I didn't feel very good. And so she left. Right? We can't say to people, this is going to end badly for you if you keep doing this. Or what you're doing is wrong. Or to preach and to teach that as Christians you're going to be persecuted. Don't be negative. Don't dwell on the, you know, the tough stuff. Let's be positive. Let's, let's only speak about the good stuff. Let's only think about the good stuff. Or we hate being told that to be free in Christ doesn't mean that you're free to do whatever it is that you want to do. Because people are like, I don't trample on my freedom. Right? I'm free to do whatever it is that I want to do. There's this teaching of the power of positive thinking and constantly being optimistic about everything that has stopped the church from being discerning and wise spiritually. The positive thinking heresies also leads to this health, wealth, and prosperity stuff, also known as the name it and claim it movement. Right? This movement teaches that whatever you confess positively by faith, God must do. As if he's some sort of like cosmic genie. We just like rub the lantern and Ali pops and we go, this is the wish and God must do it. The teaching that encourages people to have a positive mental attitude. We're never supposed to have negative thoughts. We must visualize ourselves as being wealthy and successful and achieving anything we want and it will become a reality. In other words, your mind and your thoughts create reality. There's this guy by the name of Ernest Holmes. He's the founder of the Church of Religious Science. And he teaches that your mind can create reality. That just by thinking positively, you can do anything you want to do. Just, parents, just as an aside, as a youth pastor who loves your teenagers, don't tell them they can become anything they want to be because they can't. Teach them how to love Jesus and to do the best with what they have, and they'll be successful young people. We have a generation of young people who are constantly depressed and unsatisfied because they are not becoming what they want to be. I wanted to be an astronaut and an airline pilot. At one stage, a fireman and then a vet. I'm none of those things. I'm a pastor who preaches the Word, to God, who preaches the word of God to people, and this is far better because this is God's desire and purpose for me. Your teenagers cannot be anything they want. God's Word doesn't teach that. 
says, I have plans to prosper and plans not to harm you, plans to bring you hope in the future. Find out from him what they are. Right? The power of positive thinking is so negative in that sense. It teaches us we can do anything. And it removes us from thinking about the very real reality that we actually have to be submitted and subjected to the Lordship of Christ. We're meant to be coming under Jesus, not us over Jesus becoming our own gods. That's what the heresy of the power of positive thinking has done. There's so many books about visualizing your future, and it will just happen. So many other things that have to fall into place other than you just imagining it coming into being. Here's what Paul is saying. That the Christian thought life should center around and focus on the great truths of Scripture. And as you focus on Scripture, your mind becomes healthy. And as your mind becomes healthy, so your actions become godly. And as you honor God, God honors you. God is the source. He is the power. You are his servant. And as you serve him, so you're filled with joy. And there's an overflowing and an abundance of peace as well. There's a story of a missionary who met a, a, an old Indian Christian in a village that he was, that he was ministering in. And this, and this old man was speaking to him about the very real wrestle that he had inside of him as a Christian. And he said, um, it feels like two dogs fighting against each other. The new and the old person. And the mission was intrigued. And he asked him at the end, he was like, well, how do you know which dog's going to win? And he turned and he said to him, obvious. The one that I feed the most. That's who's going to win. And I just want to say, God's, as God's people, the way that we feed our spiritual beings, the way that we feed ourselves spiritually, is to rejoice always by being in the Word and pursuing intimacy with Jesus. To pray continually in all things and to submit our concerns and our anxieties to God and to trust in Him and to saturate our minds with the Word of God. That's how we feed ourselves. That's how we grow. That's how we become a people of joy to overflowing, rejoicing always, and a people whose minds are at peace, dealing with our anxieties the right way. That's it for tonight. I'll ask the worship team to come up and join me. And just since we have to move into time where we, um, we press into this and ask God for victory and ask God for healing, um, I'm going to ask that you stand with me. Um, and I'm going to pray for people specifically, but I also want to encourage you to come to the front because I really believe um, that we must be praying for people um, individually and personally. And what we will be praying for is for God to bring victory in this area in your life. If it, it might be anxiety, it might be stress. It might be constant worry. Right? It might be that there's a lack of joy and you just want God to reshape and change the perspective that you have on life. Um, I'll be available. John will be available. Joe's here. And the guys that we connect with, you know who you are. We're going to ask you to come forward if you can. If you see people um, wanting prayer. Um, and then we're going to go into time of worship. We're going to just go into that now and do it all together. If you have anything to share, please come up to the front and share that with us. We'd like to just give you an opportunity to share what God's put on your heart. So Lord, I just I want to pray and ask that where you've met with us, where you've caused us, Lord, to see the truth, where you've convicted us again tonight of what it means to pursue you and to be a people of joy and peace. Lord, help us not to just write that off and to move away from that. I pray, God, that you would stir up in our heart an obedience to you to come and receive prayer, to bring what you've given us to bring tonight to bless each other. And I just want to ask God for forgiveness in my own life. I've made it about me and forgotten that it's actually about you. But I pray that for everyone else, that you would lead us into a place of repentance for the stuff that we've kept to ourselves in 
the way we've made it about ourselves, Lord, and I pray that you would come as our loving Father and bring healing in Jesus' name through the Spirit. And that we would be a people who are overflowing with joy and peace of mind. And I just want to remind you that if God has laid on your heart to respond tonight, to come and receive prayer, it is about you and Him, and not about the person next to you, or what people might think of you. What people might think of you is an anxiety that will keep you from coming and receiving what God has for you. It is a fear that says, I care about what men think more than what God thinks. And I just want to encourage you that we want to create a culture, and I believe God has called us to create a culture where we are open and honest with each other. And actually celebrate the honesty that we have when we say, God, I need you. We're going to move into a time of worship and you are free to respond and to come and receive prayer.